As we continue with our series in the book of Acts called The Church, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be there uh, all day today, so Acts chapter 5 is where you need to be in your Bible. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located in your Bible, what I would encourage you to do is open up the table of contents and go to the section of the Bible called the New Testament. Acts is the fifth book in that section called the New Testament. So find the New Testament, go to the book of Acts, and then find Acts chapter 5. Now, as you're turning to Acts 5, let me ask you a question. What is your family like? I know that my family, when we gather together for holidays, my family has a wide range of people. I mean, you've got me, the preacher guy, uh, the Christian, the, the pastor. Um, I've got an uncle or had an uncle that um, always had special juice, we'll say. Uh, he carried around a 32-ounce uh, styrofoam cup all the time, and he always had some special juice inside that styrofoam cup. You know, every family has the doting moms and grandmothers uh, that are loving to watch their kids and their grandkids and the family members interacting. You've got kids that are running a rampant through the house and you, you just never know what they're going to get in trouble for next. You've got men who would eat so much food that they would go into the living room after eating all that food and sit down, turn on a football game and would pass out into a food coma. Um, and, and then we always had uh, those, those handful of cousins that would sneak out into the backyard uh, to, to grab a smoke or something. You know, my family just has this wide range of people, but we always had fun together. Every time that my family gets together, we laugh. Uh, we catch up as if we hadn't missed each other at all. Uh, we realize that despite our differences, we want to be a family. And that means that many times we put the differences aside. So what's your family like? When you get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or the 4th of July, what's your family like? What are the personalities? Who are the people that interact What's that person in your family that when they walk through the door, you kind of go, oh man, they're here. <laughs> We've all got somebody in our family that's like that. Maybe a better question would be this. What should a family look like? If you had the ideal family, what would it look like? I'll be really honest with you. If I was, to ask, if I was asked what my ideal family looked like, I would just give you a description of my existing family because I love my family. I love my brothers and sisters, my mom. Uh, I love my cousins and my aunts and uncles. I love my family. And despite our differences and dysfunctions, family's more important than those differences. Family's more important than those dysfunctions. So what should a family look like? Let me take it one step further and kind of drive to where we're going today. What should a church family look like? That's a hard question. But luckily for us, the Bible speaks about that in today's passages. And so look with me now in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Acts 5, starting in verse 12. It says this, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. 
and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, so that Peter came by, and at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's pretty interesting. You see, there is something great going on in this account of what's happening with the early church. And I don't want you to miss some of the highlights here. So let me highlight some things that we've just read. The first thing is they are performing miracles. Great signs and wonders are taking place. Beginning of verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands, at the hands of the apostles. It also says later in this passage that they were highly respected. And through that, many people, it says here that multitudes of both men and women were becoming believers day after day after day. You see, God was revealing his power. God was doing something amazing through the work of the apostles and the work of the family of God, also known as the church. And that leads me to today's big idea. If you've ever watched one of my messages, you know that I usually give one big idea that kind of summarizes the main point of that week's message. And here's today's big idea. The Holy Spirit moves through community and unity. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit moves in community and unity. You see, the Holy Spirit was moving not through one person, but through a community, a family, a family of Christ. This is the early church. You see, a church family is not a building. It's not a place. A church family is a gathering of people. You see, we don't go to church I know that's the phrase that we use. Oh, I'm going to get cleaned up on Sunday morning and I'm going to go to church. But in reality, that's inaccurate. We don't go to church. We meet together as the church. And there's a clear distinction there. The church is not a place or a building. The church is the family of people that are gathering together in the name of Jesus. And let's be honest. Just as I mentioned in my intro, every family has a vast array of individuals. Uh, there are people of all walks of life in a family. There are different personalities in a family. There are people with varying values and worldviews and, and things that they find important in a family. But still, as a family, we gather and we eat and we celebrate. You see, family is so much more than the people. You know, family is so much more than a house. You know, my family traditionally at Thanksgiving would gather together at my mom's house. But our family has never been defined by that house. 
If my mom's house, God forbid, burned to the ground, we would find another place to gather for Thanksgiving because it's never been about the house. It's been about the gathering of the people and that's something that we've been getting wrong about the church. We misunderstand that the church is not a place but it is a family. True families understand and exist for so much more. They don't exist because of a building, because of a house. They exist because of community and unity. This family, the family of First Southern, this family exists for one purpose. Its community and unity exists for a mission and that mission is to reveal Jesus, to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. And that can only happen. We can only lead people to the life-changing hope of Jesus if we're living in community and unity. Jesus said, himself said, they will know you by your love. The world around us will know that we're followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. They're not gonna know us because of our theology or our studying or our building or our programs. They're going to know us by our love, by our community and unity. You know, we are a community of followers living in unity toward a mission. Don't miss that. Let me say that again. We are a community of followers living in unity toward the mission. That's who we are. That's what we are. And we can never dismiss that. Our community and unity and mission are so important. They're vital to our health. You know, today is the 4th of July. It's the day that we celebrate the independence of our country. The day when we celebrate the coming together of a group of men signing a document telling a foreign government that we are independent of them. Have you ever thought about the founding fathers of the United States and just who they were? Let me, let me give you some statistics here. The founding fathers of those men, 28 of them had a formal education, but more than a dozen had no formal education. They were self-taught. Nine of the founding fathers weren't even born in the colonies in America. They were born elsewhere. They ranged from being lawyers, land surveyors, salesmen, farmers, scientists, inventors, physicians, and, and everything else. Their economic status ranged the spectrum. Some of them really didn't have a lot of money. They were, would have been considered fairly poor. And many of them were very wealthy the, and everything in between. They were Protestants, Catholics, even agnostics, there was one of them that was avidly anti-church, did not believe that organized religion was a good and healthy thing. Some were slave owners. 
and others were very vocal about being anti-slavery and wrote against it. Some were single, some had families. One of them was a polygamist and had 15 kids with multiple wives. The fact of the matter is, is the founding fathers could not have been a more diverse group of men. They came from all walks of life. They had all differing types of views and opinions. And yet, despite all of those differences, the founding fathers united as one community for one mission to see the United States of America become a country. Our mission for Jesus is so important. If these guys could become united for one mission, we definitely should be able to be united under that mission. You see, our mission for Jesus is infinitely more important than the creation of a nation. As great as the United States of America is, as wonderful as it is, the freedoms and the, the structure of our country, as great as all those things are, it is nothing in comparison to the kingdom of God. It's nothing in comparison to the good news, the gospel of Jesus. If the founding fathers can be united towards one mission, one purpose, then why can't we? Why can't we do that? So what does a community in unity look like? That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a group of believers coming together as a community in unity, moving towards the mission. So what does that actually look like? Well, the first five chapters of the book of Acts actually gives us a beautiful detailed picture of what that does look like. You see, if you go back to Acts chapter two, we preached on that uh, several weeks back. If you go back into Acts chapter two, you're gonna find first off that the Holy Spirit was given to this community. And let me just emphasize, let me be crystal clear. We can do nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't have any community. We cannot have any unity without the Holy Spirit giving us the power to do that. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary. You and I, as a community of followers of Jesus, we don't have the power, because of our sin, we don't have the power to live completely in community in unity. We don't. We're too sinful to be able to do that. So in Acts chapter two, God sends his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He sends the Holy Spirit so that we can live in community and unity. Then if you continue in the, in the uh, Acts chapter two, you're gonna find the second thing. First, the Holy Spirit was given. Second, the gospel of Jesus was communicated. The gospel is that good news that Jesus came. He was, the, was and is the son of God. He lived a perfect sinless life. And then he was falsely accused and hung on a cross. He died on that cross to save us from our sins. The shedding of his blood forgave us 
of the immeasurable number of sins that we are all guilty of. And through that death, we can have forgiveness. But then that good news, the gospel doesn't end there. It continues because three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, confirming that he was and is the son of God and gaining victory over sin and over death so that we could have victory. That's what the gospel is. And maybe you're listening right now and maybe some of this sounds really good. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you wanna know more about Jesus or you wanna make a decision for Jesus. If that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your device and I want you to text the word changing to 94000. That's the word changing to 94000. We'll have someone reach out to you and we would love to answer any question about Jesus that you may have. Uh, so don't stop, don't hesitate, don't pause. Grab your device and text changing to 94000. We want you to have those questions answered and you can continue in your journey with Jesus. So if we look in Acts chapter two about what a community in unity looks like, we find that the Holy Spirit's given, the good news or AKA the gospel of Jesus is being communicated. Thirdly, we find that the followers are gathering together. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Basically, these people as a community of followers of Jesus are regular, regularly gathering together, just like we're gathering right here online. They're gathering together, talking about Jesus together and celebrating, living in relationship together. They're breaking bread, meaning they're eating and they're celebrating communion together. So if we continue moving forward into Acts chapter four, we find that also as they share the gospel, that good news. They're doing it more boldly because they're being persecuted more. And then lastly, and most important, and this was mentioned by Pastor Josh last week. If you continue looking into Acts chapter four, we find that they are united together. Let me read you Acts chapter four, verse 32. Acts four Verse 32 says, now the full number of those who believed were in one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things belonged to him were actually his own, but they had everything in common. In other words, they are gathering together, but that's not all they're doing. They were living in one heart and soul together. They were united together. You know, it wasn't that they were just gathering or that they were studying or they were singing worship songs. They were in mind and heart united together. And that's what made them a church. That's what made them a group of followers of Jesus gathering together was that unity. That's what defined them. They intentionally loved and cared for one another. And that love and unity were more important than agreeing on every little thing. And so how do we live in community and unity? What does this passage teach us today? I'll be honest, I would love to see 
the signs and wonders. I would love to see God revealing himself through the, the miracles that we see in this passage. And he is still doing that all over the world. But how do we lean in to the power of Jesus? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to move through our community and unity? Well, let's go back through what Acts 2 and Acts 4 teaches us. We must first live in dependency in the Holy Spirit. We have to recognize that we are powerless to do anything on our own. We need the Holy Spirit if we want to be a healthy church body, if we want to be a community in unity working towards the mission. So we live in dependency on the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we boldly share the good news, the gospel of Jesus. We boldly tell others about Jesus and what he's done for them. We invite them to come experience the community and unity for themselves. When was the last time that you invited someone to join you here online or maybe to your small group or, or even in person at church? When was the last time that you sat down with someone and told them about how Jesus has changed your life and who Jesus is? As followers of Christ, it's not just a suggestion, it's an example and a command. We are boldly called to go share the gospel. So how do we live in community and unity? We live in dependency in the Holy Spirit. We boldly share the gospel of Jesus. Thirdly, we gather together. And we're doing that right now here as a family. But it's not enough to just watch. It's not enough to have uh, me on a TV or Josh on a TV listening to us or any other preacher or pastor. It's not enough as a follower of Jesus to watch and learn from a pastor on a TV. You have to be involved in a community. You have to live life together, gathering, whether online or in person, with other believers, other followers of Jesus. And, and so I would encourage you today to ask yourself, how am I gathering together? Many of you are going to finish up right here and you're going to log on and, and participate in an online Bible study or small group with our church or with another church. And that is definitely the first step. Um, here in another month or two, we're gonna be talking about new online groups and new in-person community groups that are gonna be gathering together starting in the late summer, early fall. If you're not involved, if you're not connected, if you're not gathering together with other believers, discussing Jesus and living life together, then we will have new opportunities for you very, very soon. But please hear me. It's not enough as a follower of Jesus to just watch a sermon on a TV. You're designed by God to gather with other believers, even if it's online even if it's virtually. So we'll be opening up some opportunities for you to do that, but please be prayerfully consider, considering getting involved 
in an online small group or an in-person community group uh, that's associated with our church or with some other church. So they live, we live in dependency on the Holy Spirit. We boldly share the gospel. We gather together. And lastly, we intentionally live in unity as a family. And this is the hard part. This is where things get down and dirty. This is definitely the most difficult aspect of being part of a church family. You see, we all disagree with one another on something. There's not a single one of us that 100% agree with everyone else or with someone else. We all have those little things that we see it this way and another person in the church family sees it this other way. And quite honestly, that's okay. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to not be completely agreed with the other people in a church family. You see, we're striving for unity, not uniformity. Those two things are very different from one another. You see, uniformity means that we agree on everything, that we look and sound exactly like one another. And that's not what we're striving for. Guys, when I gather together at Thanksgiving with my family, nobody in my family looks like me. Nobody talks like me. I will say we all have a certain Texas twang, but my uncles and cousins and my mom do not sound like me. They're different. They don't look and dress like me. Nobody in my family is bald and shaves their head. I'm the only one. But the fact of the matter is, is every single one of my family members are okay with that. We're okay with the fact that we look different and we sound different and we don't agree on everything because that's okay. Because family is more important than those things. Uniformity is not the goal. Unity is the goal. So unity means that we are gathered together, living as a church family, striving towards the mission. It's community in unity toward the mission. That's what unity truly is. It's not uniformity. It's not agreeing on everything and looking and sounding exactly like one another. It's gathering together for the mission. It's community, it's mission, it's unity. So let me close with this. How have you struggled to live in unity with your fellow followers of Jesus? How have you struggled in this new world of gathering online? It's unique, it's different. It takes some getting used to. But here's the big question. How can you seek unity today and tomorrow and the next day? Again, not uniformity, not agreeing on everything, but unity with your fellow followers of Jesus. What can you do to intentionally seek unity today? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this church family, in person and online, here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and all over the world. Lord, we praise you 
for this church family. And Lord, we pray, we ask that you would bless us. We pray that you would help us to, to value community and unity and mission over all else. That you would drive us to be a people who in unity and community are focused in leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. That through believing in you, through growing in you, through connecting to you, to uh, our church family, and to our community, and through serving others in our church and in our community, that through those four things, we would lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to be in community and unity today. Lord, again, we thank you for what today is and what we're celebrating. And we pray that we would not take it for granted, that freedom that we have, but instead that we would use our freedom to lead people to you. We thank you and we praise you and lift all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.